listening to SBS on the Money with Ricardo Gonçalves. Hi everyone, I'm Ricardo Gonçalves. Welcome to SBS on the Money. It's your daily 10-minute business and finance news wrap for this Monday, the 23rd of November 2020. Later, 700,000 jobs were saved by JobKeeper. That is the latest thinking from the RBA. But first, let's talk about superannuation and how much money do you think you need to retire comfortably? Well, the Association of Superannuation Funds of Australia says couples need $62,083 per year. That's an increase of 0.3% compared with the same time three months ago. And singles need $43,901. That's an increase of half percent on the same time three months ago. Why? Well, for more on that, and what retiring comfortably actually means, I spoke earlier with Glenn McRae. He is the Deputy CEO of ASFA. Glenn, retirees need more money now to retire comfortably. Why? Look, there has been a little bit of an increase uh, in terms of retirement costs, driven by things like petrol going up 10%. There are a lot of retirees are now doing home renovations uh, and so you've seen an increase in the cost of appliances and some of that cost of renovations. And what exactly do you mean by comfortably when one retires comfortably? Look, comfortably uh, means that you can go and have the odd meal at the club, you can have the odd holiday, you've got a second-hand car and you can repair it, uh, and if you need to fix around things around the house, it's certainly not opulent, it really is basic, so you can have a little bit of dignity in retirement. How has COVID-19 impacted retiree costs? Look, there's been significant implications in terms of grocery prices, and we all know uh, toilet paper was a scarce commodity at one stage. The good news here is that's starting to settle down. You're seeing some reductions in grocery prices, but there's certainly been other impacts as well. Uh, and clearly one of those is a lot of people are spending time at home and they're spending money in, in renovating and making their house look nice. And what about lower dividends and lower interest rates? How have they impacted retirees? Well, certainly self-funded retirees have had been significantly hit by lower dividends uh, and interest rates. Uh, for those who are in APRA-regulated funds, the impact hasn't been as significant because they tend to invest in a wider range of things, including things like infrastructure, etc. But given retirees can't travel because of COVID-19, for example, does this provide them with an opportunity, I guess, to do things they wouldn't normally or even to save money? Uh, yes, there is. And certainly we're seeing that behaviour with increased uh, renovation being undertaken as people spend more time at home. But the good thing we're seeing is a lot more Australians are travelling within their state. Uh, and we're seeing a lot more domestic holidays going to places and country towns you otherwise would wouldn't. And that's great because in retirement you deserve to have a bit of fun and have a bit of dignity. We saw the outcomes of the retirement income review last week and one of the key points was that of the superannuation guarantee and discussion about whether or not it should continue to be lifted through to 2025. What's your take? Look, the retirement income review is very clear that the compulsory super system Australia is one of the best in the world. They have a view on going to 12 ASFA doesn't share that view. We think it's crucial that the system goes to 12 so more Australians can retire with dignity. At the moment, 25% of Australians are self-funded. 
we think you can get up to 50% by 2050. And the key here is making sure you've got more money in your super so you can retire with more dignity. Blue McRae there from ASPA. And speaking of superannuation, the banking regulator APRA updated us on the early access to super scheme, which ends in just over a month. It says that payments made have reached $35.2 billion so far. The average payment is $7,653. So that's $7,653. And applications paid, 4.6 million applications paid so far. Okay, let's take a look at the Australian share market now. On the ASX 200, it rose 0.3% to date at 6,561. Uh, that is a near nine-month high, a six-year high iron ore prices to help the likes of the miners, so BHP up 2.5%. Ampol, that's the old Caltex, increased 4.6% on a capital uh, capital share buyback. Uh, the banks were mixed and travel stocks rose as the first flights crossed the border between New South Wales and Victoria as restrictions eased. Qantas is up one. 0.7% today, but has risen 28% in the month of November alone. And Sydney Airport up by 1.2% and up 25% so far this month. So for more on that, I spoke with Evan Lucas. He is the Head of Strategy at InvestSmart. Evan, the market's at a nine-month high. Why? Lots of reasons probably, Ricardo. Again, if you look at what's going on in my world, which tends to be at the economic side and what feeds into markets, it's interesting to say this, it's that we're actually in economic expansion. And, and I know that's a really strange thing to be saying with all of the doom and gloom and what COVID is bringing. But if you look at what's going on, manufacturing is expanding, services are expanding, the amount of people employed is growing. If you look at the overall movement in other areas as well, all of that comes down into what the OECD classifies as expansion and we're there. So when the ASX is in expansion, when the, when the economy is in expansion, the ASX going back to 1994 does incredibly well. And, and actually on a, a total returns basis per annum in an economic expansion period, it averages 20%. So it's starting to really move that way. And we're actually moving independently of the rest of the world, which is nice to see. The US markets have been a little bit sanguine over the last couple of weeks. If you look at Europe, they've actually gone slightly backwards. So for us here, it is around that economics that, that we're actually doing well. So given that, and given we've seen this huge market sell-off at the beginning of the year, and now this very rapid recovery, how are we placed for the end of the year? So end of the year, we're still doing quite well. If you take that theory around economic expansion, it's likely now that Victoria is back online that they're going to continue to grow and, and get out of this. Festive season comes into it, consumption therefore picks up. There's all signs that it will be reasonable from an Australian-centric point of view. There are things around the world that possibly could get in the way. You do have caseloads over in Europe and the US that are almost out of control. You also for, you know, forget to talk about this, but Brexit is supposed to finalise on the 31st of December, and there is a chance that could also become a bit of a headache. But from an Australian-centric point of view, it's certainly looking still relatively positive. If we take a look at where the market is currently at the moment and consider total returns, so dividends being reinvested, how are we looking? We're actually in the black. And, and what I mean by this, if we look at the year to date to where we are right now, we're actually up 0.5 of 1%. So if you had bought the market on the 1st of January, well, it's not open on the 1st of January, but the 2nd of January, 2020, you're actually, once you put all those dividends together, you're in the black. 
despite all the issues with COVID, despite all the lockdowns, despite the economic hardship and the recession that Australia's had, you're actually up because those dividends go into your pocket plus that total that total returns is where you have the capital gain and the dividend combined, the market's up. In terms of just the market itself, year-to-date, it's only down about 1.6% for the year because we forget that all the way through January and all the way to the 20th of February, the market was appreciating quite rapidly. Yes, it made a record all-time high, and yes, we fell 29.5% from the top to the bottom of the COVID crisis fall, but if you actually look from the start of the year to where we are now, we're in the black for total returns, and it's possible that sometime this week we may actually be in the black for capital gains as well. We're continuing to see uh, an easing of restrictions locally. How, if at all, is that being reflected in the market? It's probably been already reflected, and what I mean by that is that we knew they were coming. When you started to see caseloads in Victoria falling quite rapidly, you actually saw the market really starting to pick up at the end of September, October. So. The expansion has now just been confirmed. So in terms of that rally, we've probably had it. Uh, and it's, as I said, I do believe it's going to continue because there are signs that Victoria will start to catch up. We saw in the middle of the year when the rest of the country was opened, how much rapid activity happened off the back of it. New South Wales, case in point, Western Australia, case in point, where their, their activity returned almost pre-COVID levels. Not there yet perfectly, but they returned turned relatively fast. Victoria is likely to do the same thing, and that therefore is probably going to give a little bit of a push, but most of it's already priced in. And ASIC's investigating this ASX trade outage from last Monday. How significant is this? Look, it's significant enough. I mean, the ASX has always been argued that this monopoly it has on the control of our overall exchange has its own issues. And if an outage like what we've just seen happens and you do impinge the free trade of information, the free flow of trading, the free flow of capital, that, that could always cause an economic headache, and it probably did. Significance, it's probably not that significant. It just means that somebody like a Chi-X, who is a competition to them, has that ability to continue to argue that there needs to be more providers in the market. Evan Lucas there from InvestSmart. And now finally to that $101 billion JobKeeper program. And the Reserve Bank says JobKeepers saved one in five jobs during the height of the pandemic. New research by the central bank found the wage subsidy cushioned the fall in employment during the first four months of the scheme supporting three and a half million people. So it estimates 700,000 of those workers would have been let go had it not been for the JobKeeper payment. The scheme, which is uh, due to end in March, allows workers to remain on their employer's payroll even if they're working zero hours. And that is SBS On Money for this Monday, the 23rd of November 2020. You can follow me at Business Ricardo on Twitter and Instagram. This SBS On The Money podcast is provided for informational purposes only. The content on this podcast should not be understood as constituting advice or a recommendation. It is not personal advice and does not consider your personal circumstances or objectives. You should contact a licensed professional before making any financial decision.